Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Tom Baldwin. Hello and welcome to the Kanai Podcast. I'm excited to have Becky Getz with us today. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Becky is the former head of experience design operations at Capital One and has recently moved to AWS to become the first head of customer experience operations. Welcome, Thanks, Becky. Thank you very much, Tom. Good to be here. Uh, it's terrific to have you. Um, so uh, when we were talking uh, previously, you shared some of your backstory. It would be fantastic to have the audience hear a little bit about um, where you started and uh, where you are today. Absolutely. Sure. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, I started in um, advertising. I worked in advertising agencies for the first um, many years of my career, uh, starting out as global client lead and um, client representative, and then moving into operations within the agency world, um, I don't know, about 10 years or so ago. And it was very rare then to have operations in the agency world. It's a creative space and operations just really was um, not something that many agencies had. But as we reached scale, uh, it was something that um, our leadership decided we should we should focus on and uh, served a number of different purposes from bringing different disciplines together um, under one PL to bringing a leadership team together all with really the intent of putting the customer at the center, um, the client in those days at the center of what we were doing and being able to access all of the different resources that the agency and the holding company had in the service of, of the clients. So I started there, um, went to run a small agency in Chicago from, um, from Ogilvy, which is where I spent the majority of my career. And um, realized pretty quickly that the small independent agency um, I wanted to try it because it was very different from where I had been, um, but it was it was um, it was a little too small for me, and it didn't really allow me to connect different groups together, which is what I really found that I loved to do. Um, so I was starting to think about what I might do next, and that's um, when Capital One called uh, and they asked if I would be interested in running operations for their design team, um, and I. I thought, well, sure, I'll try client side. Um, and graphic design sounds fantastic. Um, not having any idea that there was another kind of design at the time. So uh, I went through the interview process. I quickly learned that they were not talking about graphic design. They were talking about experience design, um, primarily UX, um, but with some other components to it too, and uh, took the job. So I made a big leap and I went from uh, the agency world to client side. I went from organizations that were, you know, max 600 or so uh, to a Fortune 100 company. Um, and I went from marketing into design. Uh, but what I found as I, as I sort of dove in is that the themes were very universal. Um, and what they wanted me to do was really take an organization that was built of um, creative thinkers 
and provide the right amount of structure as they scaled. So this was an organization at Capital One that had grown from about 30 people to about 500 in just a couple of years. It was a centralized organization. Uh, and as they got to that size and that scale, um, I like to say they were still a very small group within Capital One, but, but at 500, you start to get noticed. Before that, they really were flying under the radar. So it was um, really a fun opportunity to get in there and figure out what they needed and what they didn't need from an operation standpoint to really help that design team thrive. Uh, so that's that's where I spent the majority of the last couple of years. And then, uh, as you said, just, just moved to Amazon to do something very, very similar there. Perfect. So um, when you were at Capital One, uh, your main business partners, could you give us a little insight into who those business partners were and how you worked with them? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's different layers of that. Um, so my business partners were really the design leaders. Uh, and I was, I thought of them as my customers. Um, so what, you know, what did they and their teams need in order to make sure that we were delivering the best design products, that we had the best design talent, uh, that we were, um, you know, compliant and meeting our budgets. So those are the first level of who I considered my customers would be those design leaders. And those design leaders then um, were affiliated with each of the business verticals uh, at Capital One. So, um, you know, Capital One has, has credit cards, they have commercial bank, they have um, consumer bank. Uh, each of those business verticals um, had a separate design group that was led by a design leader. So each of those verticals were ultimately a customer as well. And um, each of those verticals, each of the groups that I worked with were in different, um, different uh, points of maturity, I guess, in terms of design and in terms of their appetite for design and their understanding of design. Very good. Very good. Well, um, uh, a long and storied career, but uh, <laughs> definitely at the heart of it is uh, is the customer. Um, I heard that throughout. I, I think that is so important. And uh, um, I can see how you ended up at Amazon uh, with Jeff Bezos and uh, his, his whole ethos around customer obsession and customer focus. Um, uh, applying that in, further in an organization that is already so well known for it, that's got to be an exciting opportunity. It's a fantastic opportunity. And yeah, you know, the, the customer centricity is, I grew up with it, right? You know, in, in the agency world, you have to find that customer insight. You have to find what it is that you're really going to push up against and, and leverage as you build the communications. And I think that's the case anywhere you go now, whether it be in the design world, in a tech world, even internally within organizations. If you have that, if you have that mindset and you think about who your customer is first, um, you're, you're bound to, you're bound to succeed and you're bound to be out ahead of a lot of other folks. And yeah, I mean, it's embedded certainly within AWS and Amazon, um, yeah. and, uh, at the center of everything that, that we do. So, uh, it's a nice, nice match. And, uh, the one thing that is also embedded in AWS is change. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is something that is so difficult 
for so many people. Um, as you think about UX and customer experience and, and really what you're learning is, is oh, that I, I want to now do these things differently. That whole change element, how, how, how is that changed over time? How do you think about it today? You know, I think, again, I was lucky to grow up in the agency world where change is a constant. Um, you know, your clients are always changing, their needs are always changing, uh, and how you address those needs are always changing. So I, I built up a metabolism for it. Um, it's funny you asked that. I was just having a conversation about this right before this call. Um, and, and I think that I don't think change ever ends, and and certainly not in the creative areas, certainly not in the tech world, in in really any world. And uh, it, it, it's always going to change. I had a, um, a finance guy of all people that I worked with early on, and I said something to him about, "Oh my God, just as soon as this all settles down and stops changing, I'll be a lot better." And he just looked at me and he he said, "Did you not know that it's never going to happen?" <laughs> <laughs> it was my aha moment. I was like, "Oh, he's right." Um, but I think you have to you have to just expect the change, you know, in in operations too, which sounds like a, a kind of um, static or maybe drier area to be in. It, it always evolves because you have to assess what the organization needs at the time and what the people need at the time, and that is certainly never going to be static. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're going to have to build one year, you're going to have to really focus on finances because that's, you got to get that under control. Another year, it might be more about talent strategy or um, about educating and influencing people outside of, of design or marketing and, and letting them understand how you can help. Um, but those are, you know, there's always going to be an evolution. And I think that's what makes me love what I do is, is the ability to kind of always be assessing and, and uh, pivoting from one space to another. Absolutely. And, and learning and growing um, to, to grow a team from 30 to 500 um, to probably have started with, oh, I'm going to start with the credit card product and then I'm going to move to consumer banking or whatever the, the evolution was of both the business relationship as well as your internal. Um, so help me understand some of the things that evolved along the way, how you put maybe some structure in place that allowed you to grow from 30 to 500. I was lucky enough to come in at the tail end of that. So, um, but what I will say, I think that there are some things that um, allowed Capital One to grow in the design um, field as quickly as they did. And that really started with support for design from the C-suite um, and the, the most senior leaders saying that design is important to our organization uh, as we um, transition into a, you know, a, a, a digital space here with, with what we're doing at Capital One, design is gonna be critical with what we do. That then allowed the business owners to invest mm -hmm. and that allowed the fast growth that we had what we did find and what I did find about the time I joined, which was towards very much towards the tail end of that, um, was that a lot of people were investing in design because they, they heard that they should and they heard that it was valuable and design is sexy and all of the things, but they didn't really understand what they were investing in or the benefit that it could bring. So there was, there was a little bit of a plateau um, and some tension that you run into when people are sort of like, yes, I want this. I know I should want it. I'm being told I should want it. And I've read that it's really cool. 
Um, and then, you know, then they're like, well, no, I, I don't need 10 of those people. I just want like two. And, and so you get some sort of tension because you don't really, under, they don't understand what the, what it is that they're asking for. And I think that's where when we talk about kind of how things change and evolve. When I came in, it, it became evident that one of the jobs to be done that we really had to work with as a centralized team, we were funded by different groups, but we were a centralized team was how can we begin to uh, grow our influence outside of sort of these one-on-one relationships that we had within the businesses? How can we start to help people understand what design is, what it can bring uh, to their projects and why it's critical? And then from there you get into, you know, making sure that you get in at the right time and that you have the right types of resources Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I, there was a, there was a lot of work to be done that was really um, rewarding in terms of helping the wider organization understand the role that design can play. Very good. Very good. Um, so in, in terms of creating that alignment, mm-hmm. um, so uh, it, it would seem that so much of what needs to be done in and around developing customer centricity is creating mm-hmm. that customer alignment and and that group level alignment. Can you share with some insights or ideas along the way about how the, the aligning between your team and bringing everyone back together and then going out and giving the message, how that all worked? Yeah, I think there were, you know, we did a number of things um, that, are, that are still happening. And um, I think... Um, one of the first things that we did was um, set up a training program around design thinking um, mm-hmm. that helped push out into the organization training sessions that taught people how to do do design thinking. Um, and so it became a less um, a, a smaller hurdle, a much smaller hurdle, because they could kind of take some of that design thinking back to their team and, and have a little session and do some, you know, some whiteboarding and um yeah. They could try it out on their own. Became um, a little bit bigger than them too. Absolutely. And it was incredibly successful. Uh, we had we had people just um, lining up to take that training program. Um, and it was do do, I mean, I had nothing to do with the art, you know, the the um, uh, curriculum and with the the presentation. There were folks on my team that were just fantastic at it. Um, so that was one way. And I think that that was a really smart way to, to start to build that foundation of understanding. And then we started to just go to groups that maybe we wouldn't necessarily have um, immediate contact with and, and start to kind of, in a, the word that comes to mind is pro bono, and I don't mean that, but in a very a proactive way, um, start to give them some solutions without, again, making it a big sort of, you have to invest in people and we need a project statement and all of the things yeah. that come along. It, 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 it's funny, you you mentioned the word pro bono. It's not the word we use, but we have this concept of product process and within it, we'll do a workshop that is two hours to a day. We'll do it at our cost um, yeah. and, and begin to outline vision vision, time, money, some uh, customer, how, uh, uh, what, what you're looking to accomplish and, and then drive it into, okay, then we're going to, to drive more real design thinking at both um, low def and then high definition. Yeah, that's in exactly high definition it. Ways. Yeah, that's exactly it, Tom. 
And that's, we, we actually started, um, we went kind of, uh, non-traditional and, and we used, we had a, in my team, a, a small group called the physical design group, and they were made up of architects and engineers and um, fantastic thinkers that built hybrid digital and physical um, uh, exhibits and spaces and um, events. And we connected that group with the strategy group um, at Capital One and just started to, to do exactly what you just described. Some, um, you know, let us help you. We're not going to make a big deal about it. We're going to come in. We're going to run a couple sessions. We're going to see if we can help. And we started to see that there was a huge appetite for, for the, again, design thinking and the process itself. Um, and then we could take uh, and build some of these things and we could do it internally when, when maybe in the past they had been going to another company to do it and had to have a lot of ramp up time we could start to do some of these things internally. So we start again, very non-traditional. We started doing some um, 25th anniversary exhibits and some spaces within headquarters, uh, things like that, that really got people um, to understand in a really tangible way too, what the effects yeah. of um, customer experiences and what the effects of design thinking can be. So that was a nice, that was a nice way to, to start to spread the word as well. It made it really tangible for people when they could physically see it. Yeah. And um, that is such a challenge in the digital world. And um, what, what maybe are some of the insights? Because you, 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 I think, identified it very well, the, the physical and digital and separating mm -hmm. the two, because I, I think you need to. The, the the how you touch and feel an exhibit is so different from how you uh, imagine a product. It's it's it could be everything. It could be nothing. So um, uh, did did you take different tacks? Um, uh, were there? Yeah, I think it depended. Um... You know, we've done everything. I've done everything from, and this goes back probably to marketing too. It's not, you know, it's it's not just the design world, but I think that depends on who your audience is and it depends on what your solution is. And and I've seen everything from little paper models be built to, to, sh to show, to using design collaboration tools to bring things yeah. to life. Um, that's a big part of any design team is, is finding the right collaboration tools that will help prototype. Um, using research, super important, again, across the line, no matter where you are and working with customers is making sure that you're listening and you're hearing and getting that input. So I, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways that, that you can do it. Um, but what is most important is that you speak the language of your customer uh, or the person that you're talking to. And, and that's something too, that I found in the design space, it, you know, you get very engineering and very technical kind of quickly. And so sometimes you are in a meeting and everybody's speaking a different language. So I think it can go from just making sure that you're really speaking a language that your audience understands to something that makes it tangible for them, whether that be a word or a model or a you know, piece of research. I think any of those can work depending on the, the situation that you're in. That's a terrific insight. Um, uh, a, a word, a picture, a, a piece of research. Um, absolutely. They're all so critical to um, uh, further bringing people together, aligning at a depth that um, can allow for positive growth and change. 
it, it brings things to life for, for people. And um, that's what you need to do in order to get them to, to understand how important it is and to get the project to continue forward. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as you've been a, a leader of people as well, are there, uh, uh, do you find that there are any differences in the way you lead a uh, UX um, uh, design thinker uh, versus um, say some of the other teams that you've managed in the past? That's a great question. I, I, I'll have to think as I talk here because I don't, I, I am not a designer by trade. So leading design teams was challenging um, and terrifying uh, to be quite honest. Um, and uh, I think for me, I, I started within the space of, I am, I am very experienced at leading what I would call creative people and creative teams whether they be the people that are actually building the creative or they be people that are adjacent and leading it and motivating. Um, that is what is at the heart of what I like to do. What I realized very quickly is the type of creativity within a UX designer is, is very different from within a um, copywriter or an art director, or an agency or an engineer or a uh, um, you know, documentation writer, um, both of whom are in the team at Amazon. So I think you, you, yes and no to answer your question. There are differences, but ultimately they're all people. And, and my approach is to sort of let, let what drives those people through and shine. Um, and, and that and, became a, a wider pool of things. And, and what I heard was that creativity and, and, and creating something, putting something together that becomes valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think um, thinking back on your career, uh, starting at Ogilvy um, and having that real center around probably some of the most creative minds around yeah. Um, yeah. that uh, that is a, an amazing place to start. It was an amazing place to start. You had to really learn how to work with, with people that think creatively, how to work with clients that want people that think creatively um, and, and how to bring and connect all of those groups together. And I, you know, I, I, I think that what I've learned early in my career at Ogilvy, uh, through most of my career at Ogilvy and, and then onward, um, it all does follow that same thread. Yeah, yeah. And, and creativity and brand. Um, when, uh, when we were talking previously, you, you mentioned that brand is not what you say, it's what you do. And that really resonated with me. Um, and uh, I, I think it, uh, it, it says a lot. So uh, as, as you've worked with different organizations um, and whether it's an organization brand or maybe it's a personal brand, um, can you share a few stories in and around how that became so uh, important? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is just learning over time. And, and, and now that I've been both agency side and um, on the business side, I think it is, it is even more important because what I see, particularly on the business side, is that being in a design team, we're often aligned very closely with engineers or with digital teams. 
and and this isn't the case everywhere by any sense, but we're all sometimes very separate from the marketing teams. Um, and uh, the marketing teams might be very separate from another team. And in the end, um, the the customer only sees one thing. They they see what they experience and they, you know, they don't, that, that's why I keep thinking of that, that quote, I, a, a brand isn't just what you say. Like you can't just say to marketing, create a brand. It's way oversimplified, but, but the brand is what the designers are doing and what the people are, you know, experiencing every day when they go on an app or when they go online or when they get an update or a, a notification. So you can try to tell people what the brand is in a very marketing centric kind of way, but you're going to be missing so many different pieces of how people experience that today. And I think that agencies, when I left the agency world, they were just starting to think that way. I think they are getting much closer to thinking more holistically. And I, I think businesses are getting there too, but there's a lot of work to be done to connect the different silos and yeah. connect the different groups um, in ways that are really valuable and meaningful. Absolutely. Um, we're working with a, uh, a neobank and part of the upfront work that was done was uh, creating that empathy and that uh, emotional connection and then saying, okay, we are going to drive through that emotional element in how we write our copy how we uh, then build our product and um, that it, it all should seamlessly have effect. It, it all does. And I, I think, you know, again, going back to, to what I was doing at the agency, when I, when I was doing operations, we were just starting to bring, you know, public relations and digital media and media and creativity into one P&L so that the, the client could actually have a holistic um, approach to that. And that's become much more common now on the agency side. But again, you go back to the business side of it and there are things to your point, what are the colors? What are the sounds? Like, you know, what is the, what is the sound print that the brand has out there that are just not being looked at as holistically as I think that they could in many places. Um, and yeah, you could have a brand campaign out there that is saying one thing and you can have an experience online that is saying something completely different. Um, and, and a lot of people right now are leaving that to chance or leaving that to chance encounters in the hallway or on Zoom. Uh, and I think that there is a way to make it much more, um, be much more proactive about how you knit together all of those different pieces within a company um, and um, you know, within, within agency output as well. Terrific. So um, uh, you, you've recently, or maybe it, it feels like a long time now, um, <laughs> you've taken on a new role. And uh, uh, so you went from uh, uh, agency to in-house and, and then uh, now uh, how do you call it when you go from financial services to basically serving every industry on the planet? <laughs> I, um, I am now in a much bigger house. That is how I like to think about it. <laughs> I didn't think it could get a lot bigger than a Fortune 100, but I have learned that it does. Um, so, yes, I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very focused on AWS and and, uh, and the, the jobs to be done within that. But I think that the, the issues are still very much the same when it comes to design. 
when it comes to customer experience. Um, very fast growing teams. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you nurture the best talent? How do you get the best talent in? How do you make sure that people are working on things that are inspiring and that uh, the value that that design and that customer experience work can bring is is easily uh, articulated? Um, and you know that that influence begins to grow. Very much the same kinds of things that that I've been working on, but uh, at a much much bigger scale. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And some some new and different structure because so many people have worked within a slide deck in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then at Amazon AWS, you uh, have these thesis statements. Yeah. I love and, it. I just love it. As, as a person who is not a designer and has always been on the business side of things, um, to actually be able to to write something and share something and not have to apologize in advance for how it looks is very liberating. <laughs> so I am spending far fewer hours trying to make sure that everything looks right on the slide and far more time on the content, which is what the intention is. And uh, I think, you know, again, it's just, it's a very, um, it's, it's a, a strong, ethos and a strong skill to nurture throughout a company to just be able to write out a rational um, argument for something or a, um, yeah, a yeah, something compelling, something Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and then to have the, the, the leadership principles that surround that, that then inform how you influence and change. Uh, and they very much do. They're so alive. Um, that was something, I mean, every company has their mission statements and their leadership principles and, and, um, they drive every company, but in in this case, I have found that they drive it in a in a very very tangible, very much day to day kind of way, which is fantastic. Absolutely, I I, I see it in our partnership mm-hmm. um, very much in the the way that uh, AWS has worked with us and vice versa, um, the way that we've consumed AWS for our customers. So right. um, very fun and. Uh, I think interesting work. So we have covered, I think, so much interesting and valuable ground. Uh, Is there anything additional you want to share with the audience? Oh, I don't know. I just, I mean, I think that this idea of always learning something and and diving into new experiences is what has driven me lately. And I, um, I think your question at the beginning was right. Like there, there, there's always going to be change and, and how we, how we go about that change with the customer at the center of everything that we do um, is going to be critical because they're, they're, they are customers now are seeing so many different dimensions of companies and of brands. They're hearing so much more about them than they ever did before. Um, you know, employees are such an important part of that equation now too. And I think that being able to connect all of that so that there is a single um, experience that people have of a of a company or as singular as possible is where there's going to be a lot of success. And that's super hard to do, but if you, you know, it, it's also super fun to do because you're, you're able to kind of invent as you go and and dive into different areas and and listen to people and i think that that ultimately is is what makes 
human-centered design, marketing, uh, anything really, really exciting space to be in. Absolutely. With uh, so there's a, an old saying. Um, I was speaking with our our head of delivery. He was actually interviewing me, and he said, "Tom, I I recently read a quote uh, with um, structure comes freedom." Yes. And yes. And it, it's it's one of those things where if you think about it, structure doesn't need to be constricting. No. I can uh, extend and move a little bit, but it it does then give me that freedom to it, yes. grow and change. It that's one of my favorite quotes, and it's really what I think about operations in the creative industries because. Uh, and I've seen it play out over and over again. I'll be in a I'll be in a situation where I'm just terrified to tell a creative team or a, a group of people that you, you got to do it this way, and to put any constraint on it. And and the actual if you find the right balance, if you put just enough constraint, it does free people, and they are so thankful for it. Um, I've seen it happen over and over again. So that you know that's really that's the fun part is finding that right balance because it's absolutely right with a little bit of structure people are just unleashed and, and that freedom is inspiring and it makes the work better. Fantastic. Well, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. 